the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Johnny Nickel with you. And Johnny, what a fantastic start to the season it was over the weekend. I can't wait to dive into all of the talking points, both on and off the pitch. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great, Ben. This is something of a relief after we built it up for, for over a month at the start of the season. It certainly delivered like drama, late goals, spectacular goals, including a free kick that I've just about stopped watching off-field issues. So I can't can't wait to get into it with, with you and our, our guest tonight. How about yourself, Ben? How, how are you doing? Good, thank you very much. And uh, yes, the uh, the perfect guest to help us uh, run through the major match day one storylines. Uh, he saw history made in Hiroshima on Friday and history repeat at the National Stadium on Sunday. From the Japan Times, it's our old friend Dan Orlowitz. Uh, Dan, welcome back to the pod. How are you? Uh, just about thawed out after yesterday? Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, happy uh, 2024 season to all of us who observe. And uh, what a weekend, as you say, history made, history repeated, uh, and some great football throughout. And uh, you you love to see it. Yeah, most definitely. So uh, Dan was our first guest of the calendar year. Uh, you might remember listeners. And uh, yes, he's our first guest of the new season after uh, J1 match day one took place over uh, three days of the long weekend in Japan. And we will start at the National Stadium on Sunday. Uh, Tokyo Verdes return to J1 after 15 years away. And it was almost a triumphant one until uh, Yokohama F. Marinos spoiled the party in the last five minutes. Uh, this fixture was the uh, a repeat of the J-League's first back in 1993. And uh, yes, despite the cold and miserable weather conditions, over 53,000 turned out. So yeah, I wonder what sort of crowd they uh, they might have gotten if it was a, a nice sunny day. But uh, yeah, Dan, you were there to soak in the atmosphere and well, it looked like a, a really special occasion on TV, uh, the Verdi faithful came out in their droves and they made the most of being back in the top flight. That's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, of course, full credit to uh, the Okamath Marino supporters who, who filled uh, the area behind the goal and then some. But I was very uh, impressed with the turnout from uh, Verdi supporters. Uh, obviously, uh, part of why there was such a large crowd was that the league did give away, I believe, about 10,000 tickets to this game. Uh, as you know, the part of the, the, this campaign to to open the season, and also uh, the league is emphasizing these games at the national stadium uh, as part of their their marketing campaign. But uh, that said, uh, you know, it's one thing to have neutrals show up wearing uh, black down jackets, and it's, it's another thing to have them show up wearing green. Uh, and, and I think that Verdi are doing a surprisingly good job at getting these fans out. We saw that. To, uh, yesterday, uh, we saw that for the uh, J1 uh, promotion playoff final last November. Uh, it, it's a much different club from the one that we last saw in J1 uh, 14 years ago, or excuse me, 16 years ago. Mm. Yeah, most definitely. So, it, yeah, it was a terrific occasion and a terrific atmosphere, Johnny. And uh, once the game kicked off, we didn't have to wait long for the first flashpoint, did we? And uh, one thing we can say about new uh, Yokohama F. Marino's keeper, uh, William Pope, is that if it doesn't work out for him with the with his football, he definitely has a future in volleyball. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic start. Yeah, I think as as, as Dan said, it's, it's really interesting seeing Verdi at the National Stadium. I think you know, that there's been at times I think it's been used a bit too much. Like Vissel Kobe at the National Stadium just doesn't work. But I think Verdi, as, as Lewis said, um, you know, they, they kind of feel Ajinomoto Stadium is not really their stadium. So I think it really worked. Brilliant atmosphere. Verdi right up for it for, from the start. And yeah, I think the five J1 debutants, the Tetsuyuki Inami, who he picked out, this might have been a quite a good holding midfielder. He was at right back, a bit of a surprise choice. Um, Marinos had five players, 30 or over in the starting eleven. So yeah, Verdi a lot more alert, a lot more w- w- with it from the start. And yeah, Pope, Pope, what was he thinking out the box? The ball hits him in the arm. It's not deliberate and it's in the, the shape of his body. But then he takes a swing at, at Kimura, I think, and then hauls him to the ground. So I mean, spoiler alert: the free kick does go in, and I think as a as a neutral, but for me anyway, I think it was it was the right outcome. Um, no, no one really wants to see anyone sent off after three minutes, and I think it's a non-deliberate handball. There are then the defenders back to cover his foul, but I think it is such a big blunder by Pope that, as we'll see later in this game, we'll see in the the Machida game later as well, and I'm sure we'll see many times this season. You know, you can get free kick, you can get penalties for like non-deliberate handballs. And he was just outside the box, so giving away a free kick of that kind of magnitude. I think you know the fact that it was punished not only by yellow card but also by conceding a goal. For for me, that that seemed like the, the kind of from a neutral perspective, I, I thought that was a, a reasonable outcome. Yeah, almost a a five minute delay, Dan, after the the initial incident where Pope was out of his box and yeah, eventually yellow carded as Johnny says after tangling with uh, Yudai Kimura, but uh, yeah, Fuki Yamada is certainly, um, well, yeah, he, he had to wait to take this set, their set piece, but uh, certainly made the most of it, and if Pope was uh, red-faced after his uh, initial foul and yellow card, it was even more so after uh, allowing Yamada's uh, free kick to go into the top corner at his near post, although, to be fair, not too many keepers would have been able to keep that out, I don't think. No, and it, it was a hell of a hit. Uh, it the place just exploded uh, when that mm. goal went in. It was just a phenomenal strike, and and yeah, I, I do agree. I think I think that uh, Pope was you know, uh, you know opening game jitters. I mean, these sorts of things happen. It's freezing cold. It's wet. It, it was raining throughout the game. Like, I don't. I don't. Bl- I'm not going to blame the players for making mistakes, but I do think that uh, someone else on on Twitter. I, for, I forget who may have alluded to it, but if that happens in the 20th minute rather than the the third minute uh maybe the ref isn't as generous uh so in that sense pope was very lucky uh to get away with with a yellow and and a free kick that he eventually conceded and hopefully uh we'll see yeah hopefully it's a learning experience yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, Yamada's free kick was a special one. And uh, yeah, the, the Verdi faithful celebrators as you'd expect them to. But yeah, Johnny, it was really impressive the way they, um, yeah, they didn't get too carried away, I think, with the emotion of going ahead inside the first 10 minutes. And yeah, by the end of the first half, I think F Marinos couldn't wait for the whistle, could they? Because there were a number of chances. And to be fair to Pope, he had to, uh, he was called into action a number of times and he was equal to chances from the likes of uh, Itsuki Someno and uh, Kimura again. And even, yeah, Yamada had another chance later in the first half as well. There was uh, very little going forward from F. Marinos in terms of a uh, yeah a consistent threat uh, on the Verdi goal. And, yeah, they were extremely impressive in, in the first half, weren't they, Verdi? 
Yeah, yeah. I think, the, again, the, playing at the National Stadium, it, it almost had a kind of cup final feel to it, but Verdi back in J1, and but playing a team that they wouldn't necessarily expect it to beat. But with the big kind of special atmosphere, they, they definitely dropped, dropped their A game. Uh, and with we picked out Joe Fuku, the coach, has been one of the kind of main aces in their pack. I think they got, got their tactics spot on. And yeah, they really, really dominated that, that first half. Um, I think there was that, that big one on the half hour mark when um, when Pope kind of partially saved from from Kimura and then I think it was Kamijima came in behind and cleared off the line, um, yeah. and that again that came from from Eduardo losing possession, which uh, I think again was the the Samino chance again came from good Verdi closing down winning possession from a, a very sluggish Marinos. I, I know they had the ACL commitments in in midweek. Uh, they, they went to extra time um, against Bangkok United. I'm sure that play, played some part in it, but. Yeah, this is Harry Keogh's first J1 game. He he would have been very disappointed. But, you know, again, to come back to that, that match in the game, I, I messaged a couple of Gamba fans at, at halftime and the kind of overriding feeling was, is this going to go the same way as is that game? Are Verdi going to be left to, to rue such a good 45 minutes, but you've just got what one goal for, from a set play to show for it? They haven't been able to take a second chance that really would have put Marinos up against it. And, yeah, what, what, what I think we're going to go on to describe... It was very much what we suspected or perhaps feared was going to transpire. Yeah, indeed. And, uh, yeah, Harry Kuehl, uh, he spoke after the game uh, about the, the midweek exertions, as you say, Johnny, but he didn't want to use that as an excuse. And, uh, well, yeah, ultimately, as we'll, as we'll come to, uh, his players hauled themselves off the floor and were able to nick it at the end of the day. Uh, I think Jan Mateus and uh, Riol Meichi were important additions uh, onto the pitch. Dan, they came, they both came on uh, 10 minutes into the second half and uh, Meichi uh, especially got to work down the left uh, he had the ball in the net in the 62nd minute but had just strayed uh, offside and Mateus was part of the, uh, the the build up to that chance as well but um well yeah it did, it did appear didn't it that Verdi were going to hang on and they obviously would have been uh, excellent value for the victory but yeah uh, sometimes um, I guess it's it's just a harsh lesson, isn't it? That as good as you are, as as I think Johnny alluded to, as good as you you are for 80, 85 minutes, yeah, a team as good as F Muddy knows with the the firepower they've got, um, you will then never going to stop coming at you, and ultimately it it was late heartbreak for Verdi, wasn't it? It it was. I I think that this is also part of the the J one experience for Verdi. Uh, I, I think that. Maybe we don't put enough emphasis on just the fact that it, it is a different level from the J2. And, and Verdi are going to have to learn this and Machida are going to have to learn this. And it, it's a much different experience from being, uh, say, an elevator club, you know, Shimizu sort of recently, Jubilo recently, um, your, your Yamagatas and your Kyotos and your uh, Shonans who are sort of used to maybe jumping up and down a bit and even the J2, even the players who have played in the J2, they still know what the J1 is like, and it's easy uh, to adjust to that. But for these players, it's, it's such new territory, and you could tell over the course of the second half that Martinos were finding their way back into it, and it was just going to be a question of, well, it did seem like, well, Ver- Verdi's window to score a second goal ended, yeah, sometime around the 60th, 65th minute, and then it was just a question of whether or not they could hold on until the final whistle, and of course they didn't. No, and yes, the late heartbreak, well, it began uh, in the 87th minute when uh, Nam Tehi, another F. Marino's uh, sub, crossed from uh, right to left. The ball founder, Taiki Watanabe, 
Uh, he tried to uh, put the ball back into the box, but his cross hit the arm of uh, Keito Kawamura, uh, Kawamura, excuse me, uh, with the, the referee uh, pointing immediately to the spot and uh, Anderson Lopez stroking in the penalty after a uh, stuttery run-up two minutes later. And then, yes, there was even more pain to come for Verdi in the third minute of stoppage time. Jan Mateus teed up Ken Matsubara for a stunning first-time strike that sent the F. Marino's bench on a furious chase to catch up with him uh, as he raced to celebrate with the supporters behind the goal. And, yeah, that was it. And as we say, history repeating, uh, Dan, uh, the exact same scoreline from the J-League's first-ever match, a, a remarkable um, a, a remarkable turn of events. It was. I mean, I I yelped a bit when Matsubara's goal <laughs> went in. Uh, that was a phenomenal strike, and he he struggled a bit during the game. And obviously, I think it it's it's good uh, for him to to score that goal and get his confidence and get that confidence back after what was a very very difficult game for Marinos. They they uh, did not get this win easily, but you just look and the arc of the ball the he, he he aimed it perfectly he he sent it exactly where he wanted to and you could just see the disappointment on on the face of the Verdi players um because even after the penalty and then when you say it took two minutes that's about as long as it took for anderson lopez to to start from the spot and then run up and and hit the ball um <laughs> You know, had Verdi gotten away with the draw, I think that would have been uh, a massive confidence builder uh, for them to to start the season with the point and and to get to get that from an original ten rival. Uh, but yeah, you, know, you, you got to give credit to Marinos. I think that even though I described Marinos as sort of a copy of a copy of a copy at this point, and that's just not just in terms of of the managers, but in terms of the fact that they haven't really had revolutionary turnover in the squad they haven't really made too many huge signings um they're still finding a way to win these games and stay competitive and that's just uh emblematic of of what the club has has built this team into over the last few seasons and yeah it's interesting what you said dan about the kind of the copy of the copy of the copy because when we talked to to stuart woodward a a few weeks ago he, he was saying about that now that there are question marks about Kuro's kind of background as a as a coach, and the hope is he would just basically maintain the same tactics. But interestingly, for for this game, they sort of ch- switched the, the midfield around. So rather than having the two deep midfielders and one attacking midfielder, it was Kida sat, and then they had Yamane and Watanabe were, were more attacking midfielders, and very similar to what uh, Vissel Kobe had actually done a, a, um, the the day before, having three kind of more as we said, like holding midfielders as that midfield three, and it, it didn't really work. Whether that was the whole reason or the team as a whole were quite sluggish, because as, as you rightly pointed out, Dan, Matsubara kind of struggled a bit here, and he really redeemed himself because he got a, a very uncharacteristic red card against uh, Bangkok United in the, the first leg of the, the ACL game. I thought Watanabe, who won the penalty, he didn't impress me at all. I thought he'd been signed to be a centre-back, not a left-back. There were a lot of injuries there. So, yeah, Kuehl, he, he changed the, the kind of tactics slightly from the start, and then he made several, a, a lot of changes, like Nam he came on, Uenaka was on, Amano was on. They, they made a lot of changes. They were very, very attack-minded at the end. So it's interesting to see, you know, how uh, how much Kuehl does deviate from the, the, the blueprint set down from, from Postacoglu and Muska. I, I guess we'll get our answer in, in coming weeks. I think I think to that point, it's interesting how 
since uh, Ange, uh, you know, Ange obviously had his vision and it was just attack, 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 attack. And Kevin Muscat was a bit more pragmatic in terms of his tactics. Now, I think uh, Harry Kuehl is bringing a bit more pragmatism on top of that into his tactics. And it, it was good because I think that it, you do need a, a certain kind of squad to be able to just hit the plan A button over and over again, which Ange did. And, and I don't think that that works with the squad the Marinos have right now. And so you have to be able to make changes. And so in that sense, I think uh, Kuehl did very well for himself yesterday. Yep, he agreed here. Now, Johnny, I just wanted to, to see if you noticed this as well. Uh, to, just talk coming back to the the, the match winner, Matsubara. I, I think he thought he was getting subbed off in the 72nd minute when uh, when El Burr went off with uh, Kota Watanabe. I think Matsubara saw the seven on the on the board and thought it must have been his 27. He went over to the side of the pitch and high fived. I think it was Amano as he came on, and he did the bow on the side of the pitch, which most Japanese players do when they get subbed off. And then I think he was informed that no, it was Elber going off and not him. So he had had to uh, to to jog back onto the pitch. So I mean, this this match winner might never have come about uh, if it wasn't for um, yeah this uh, this slight. Well, it wasn't a mistake, but yeah, Matsubara uh, I, I guess uh, got his wires crossed and didn't end up going off. Uh, after all, but um, well, yeah, sorry, it's not really a question. I just wanted to, to point that out, and I wondered if you did or, or maybe Dan did uh, as well. No, it's, it's interesting, Ben, because I'm just looking through my notes here, and I've actually got because I, I always write down the numbers of the players. I've got 27 and above him scored out 20, 72 the minute he was meant to come on, and I've changed that to he, he actually replaced Elbert, which was in the next minute. So, cause, uh, yeah, because it's interesting because I, I made note of the Marinos uh, formation, and at that point they were in a, in a 4 4 2 with actually with with Elbert playing up top with, with Anderson Lopez. And I was like, who, how, how is this going to work out if a man who comes on for Matsubara? But yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. He was meant to come on and Matsubara went off and then they, they realised they made a mistake and it was actually Elbert. So yeah, yeah, uh, I, I guess, I mean, he, he was never meant to actually properly go off, but yeah, no. it, it's an interesting <laughs> thing to point out, yeah. Yes, yes, uh, a little quirk there. But uh, okay, so uh, yeah, a tough lesson learnt for Verdi, but overall... Uh, for well, for the entire game, I mean, they did was the you know it was hard lines at the end there, but yeah, a, a hugely encouraging uh, return to the top flight, and well, we hope they can take that into their future games. But uh, their first away game back in the top flight is uh, one of the tougher ones they'll have all season. It's away at Urawa on uh, Sunday at 4 p.m. That should be an absolute corker as well. And, uh, yes, F. Marino start their uh, J1 life under Harry Kuehl with uh, three points. And, uh, yes, we'll uh, we'll see how they uh, develop throughout the season. Obviously, they have their home opener on Friday night. Uh, next, we'll uh, head down to Hiroshima, where uh, Dan surprisingly turned up on Friday. I had no idea you were going down, mate, but obviously very, very jealous and um yeah obviously the, the stadium presents extremely well uh, on the tv the uh, edion peace wing stadium the official unveiling for uh, for match day one urawa were the visitors and uh, san frecce celebrated with a 2-0 victory but um yeah tell us about your experience and and what the stadium was like yeah i i believe it's funny that it keeps coming up on Twitter. I think the actual name is Edion Peace Wing Hiroshima, which is like I think we we tend to add the stadium in ourselves. There's a sec this the second uh, wing stadium in the J League history, which of course uh, Novir Stadium, where where Vissel Kobe play. I believe that was Kobe Wing Stadium originally. 
um, which is neither here nor there. But, uh, you know, I just had an opportunity to, to make it out. I realized that I hadn't uh, been to a game outside the Tokyo area since March 2019, which is way too long a period to, you know, get in, get in some ground hopping. So decided to to go out there as I'd never actually been to uh Hiroshima before and I gotta say uh the contrast between the national stadium which was a stadium built for nothing in particular and it shows uh versus Peace Wing which is a stadium that was 100% built for football from the ground up is startling I I say this to anyone who's listening this is the best stadium in Japan right now and you should make it if you are thinking about visiting Japan and checking out a J League game, you should make it to Hiroshima. Um, no question about it. It was an incredible stadium. Uh, the Phil's facilities are great. And just the fact that it's so centrally located uh, makes all the difference in the world. It's going to change things for Sanfrecce uh, going forward in so many ways. All right, Dan. Well, yeah, sounds absolutely fantastic. And as I say, yeah, looked uh, look fantastic uh, on the TV as well. And um, well, yeah, to to kick off the new season, uh, a uh, obviously a huge game between well the the teams I expect to finish first and second in my JPRED. So um, a massive game, a massive occasion, and uh, I think it might get lost in the uh, the final outcome slightly is that Reds. Uh, had the, uh, the the best two chances of the first half before uh, Hiroshima took the lead on the stroke of half time. So uh, Keisuke Osako, who obviously was uh, not fit enough to take part in the Asian Cup, was uh, was back between the sticks for San Freche and was uh, yeah the the busier of the, the the two keepers in the first half. I mean he, uh, Hiroshima did have chances, but mostly from distance. While at Reds were able to uh, yeah fashion a couple of good chances. Firstly for uh, Yoshio Koizumi, and then later for Takehiro Sekine with uh, Osako equal to the occasion on uh, on both instances. Yeah, I think this was, this was a really good, really high-quality first half. A perfect start, perfect first game for, for, for the J-League. Like you say, a lot of people expecting these two to be right up the top, and they really went at each other from the start. I think in his post-match comments, uh, Mr. Hoogmore said that the Reds were actually a bit better than he expected them to be. And uh, like you say, while while Sam Frecci had the had the higher quantity of shots on goal, uh, Urawa definitely had the, the, the better quality. I, I think especially that one for for Koizumi that that, produced, that brought a, a fine stop from from Osaka. That that was a big chance. And I think Reds will ultimately be left to kind of rue the fact that I think they lost two or three big moments in, in the half. The, the chances obviously for Sekine and Koizumi, and then after you know after 45 minutes of of Hiroshima having some decent build up play, but but really struggling to kind of penetrate that that central uh, attacking area, just having shots from distance or flying over, and Nishikawa hadn't been worked, but yeah, I'm sure um, Takasa Shiotani will say he meant it, but it looked like he slightly overhit the pass to to Kawamura, which gave him no option because he had defenders coming to close him down. He had to run onto it and hit that shot. And maybe a bit of a greasy surface, but I'm afraid Nishikawa is a very good and very experienced goalkeeper, so he's going to have to own that. He should have held on to it. He spilled it to, to Ohashi. And again, credit to Ohashi. He, he must have been pumped up on, on his debut in the new stadium. Very easy to smack that one behind the goal into the crowd. He hit it in off the underside of the bar. And yeah, right on half time. Perfect time to score. And Dan, I guess the place must have been jumping after that. 
I mean, the the place w- was jumping from from start to finish. But I mean, the the amazing thing about the stadium, obviously, the 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 stands are so close to the pitch. I believe as close as eight meters, which is uh, I, I believe the shortest distance in in the J League, save for maybe Mitsuzawa. But the entire uh, space behind the goal for some Fitcher fans, I mean, it's the the purple wall is what they'll be calling it sooner or later because it was just um, packed. And actually, the interesting thing about uh, how the away stand is set up also is is that because it's sort of shorter and and there's a roof over it, uh, there's been some debate over whether the away fans are actually getting louder echoes, mm-hmm. uh, whether whether their chanting is reverberating more. So it it, it cr- creates this uh, incredible atmosphere and. For Ohashi to score that goal when it did, I, I think it it, it gave Sanfeche a, a really great position going into the half, and it, it all of the momentum uh, shifted their way, and they just held on to it throughout the second half. Yeah, and Johnny, I mean, agreed on Nishikawa, obviously a tremendous goalkeeper for a number of years, but yeah, certainly not his finest moment and he had to do better with that um yeah the long distance shot from uh, from Kawamura he hadn't had any trouble at all with uh, any of the previous attempts from Hiroshima players yeah there might have been a slight bobble in front of him but yeah that's simply not good enough and yeah as you say credit to Ohashi for pouncing and uh, well yeah he's something about opening day and Yuki Ohashi uh, a hat trick last year of course for Shonan and uh, well he went close to another here but he did get his second at uh, 10 minutes into the second half and well yeah after a little bit of uh, a friendly discussion perhaps <laughs> between uh, Ohashi and uh, Pieros Sotiriu after Hiroshima were given a penalty uh, from a uh, Koizumi trip on Ohashi uh, Sotiriu basically wrestled the ball off Ohashi from what we could see on the TV Dan and then um, yeah unfortunately the uh, the Cypriot striker uh, proceeded to um, well, yeah, after ripping the ball away from his uh, his teammate, he ripped the ball past the post, not even hitting the target. Yeah, you you can't do it. I mean, he had a poor day uh, overall. Uh, picked up a card as well, and you, you can yeah. I, I think that that it it was uh, we we've had a lot of issues. I was maybe not issues is a bit too strong, but you do you do see tend to see a lot of the the foreign strikers in the J League who think that, well, they're, they're hot shit from the penalty spot, and it turns out to be not the case here. And he's very fortunate that Ohashi turned up uh, soon after uh, with that header and got that second goal, because if it's 1-0, you know, or obviously if Arawa scores, and that changes the entire face of the game. Uh, so, yeah, you know, not not the best day out uh especially after uh, he scored in in the the first friendly at the stadium uh, a couple weeks ago but we'll we'll see Hope, hopefully it was a bit of a lesson and uh, he'll let ohashi uh, take it next time i know i wasn't in the stadium dan just my, is it actually interesting because my, my reading of the situation from, from the tv was because the fact that the captain Sho sasaki got involved i thought perhaps pieros was a designated penalty taker but in the heat of the moment, Ohashi had won the penalty, so he thought he should be able to take it. But I, I don't know. That was just my, my understanding. So it's interesting to hear a different 
different interpretation. But uh, and the last season penalty taking in J1 was extremely accurate. But we actually you know, we had three penalties missed in the, the opening day, which was very surprising. And yeah, I, th- I think I'm sure we'll all be in agreement that that Ohashi will probably be taking over from Pieros as the the penalty taker from now on. I'm I'm actually looking at the at the footage and and Ohashi he does point to himself and he sort of indicates he's going to take and I don't know I mean I I think that it's all sort of 2020 uh, hindsight yeah mm. it's it's that sort of thing but uh, you know I think you have to look at it Ohashi wins the penalty he's already scored once so, you know I think at that point you even if you are the designated penalty taker i think maybe it's on you to read the room a little bit but you know it, it is what it is uh, that that's for the players to work out maybe not for us to speculate so much indeed indeed and obviously yeah hiroshima heads could have dropped after that uh, missed penalty but instead they made it two nil just 40 seconds later uh ohashi heading in a pinpoint mutsuki kato cross to uh, send the new stadium into even more raptures if that was possible um and just a quick word if we could uh, johnny about the, the the front three um i agree with dan on the uh, sotiryu not having his finest day but in general terms i thought in the first half especially he was fairly um fairly prominent and decently involved in the build-up play um which is something you can't always say about his uh, previous appearances with hiroshima but yeah i mean all hashi and kato especially were uh yeah were looking threatening and i think they have the uh, the makings of a, a terrific combination up front yeah I, th- I think you could see the difference definitely when they, they subbed pieros off and brought in douglas Vieira because I think it's easy to get lulled in when you see the movement of Ohashi and Kato to think, well, Pieros isn't doing that much. But when they're moving about that much, he needs to be the kind of central anchor. And he, he's also a very physical presence. And as we know, Reds had by, by far and away the best defence in, in the league last season. So he was up against Schultz and Hoybraten, absolutely no no mean feat. So I think Pieros' performance, you know, the, the penalty obviously shows up where the focus is on him. That's on him. He, he has to own that. He didn't even work the goalkeeper. Um, but I think it is performance so overall in, in that front three. It might not have stood out, but I think if you were to go back over and watch it and watch him specifically, you would see a lot of his kind of the physical stuff he did, subtle movements that actually allowed Kato and, and Ohashi especially to have to have really good games. I think, yeah, the, I think Hiroshima were a bit a bit nervous at the start of the first half, but once they got going, there was some lovely interchange play that they didn't really kind of end up in much and then obviously when they got the goal the start of the second half they were, they were quite rampant the you know the, the goal comes from their their, their gegen pressing their high pressing but i think about five minutes before that reds get get very lucky and they, they lost the ball uh, hiroshima won it back and actually pieros had a shot that was kind of blocked into nishikawa's grasp and then yeah it's kind of kind of unfortunate i think it, it goes against koizumi but you know the whole team's getting closed down it's kind of the, the inevitable result after i think kato wins the ball um, and then he fills Ohashi, um, and then yeah, yeah, uh, Ohashi in opening days. What, what what is it with him in, in opening days? Uh, I think Hoy Bratton might be a bit disappointed that Ohashi gets the, the the run on him, but yeah, f- fantastic finish and yeah, interesting to see when when Marcos Junior c- comes back if they move Ohashi into that central attacking area or if Pierre Ross in his kind of off the ball work has has caught the eye of of, of Skiba enough to, to keep his place. But yeah, like we said in the preseason preview, plenty and plenty of attacking options. If it doesn't work for one player, they've got plenty of players they can change him out for. 
Indeed, indeed. Uh, so, yeah, special mention there for Kato and for Ohashi. But, yeah, we, we have to mention Makoto Mitsuta as well, pulling uh, each and every string uh, in the midfield, uh, especially yeah, in the first hour or so. Uh, the Yeah, the Reds uh, did um, did threaten, it must be said, after going 2-0 down. And Naoki Maida especially had an impressive uh, cameo down the right. Uh, Shinzo Kuroki, another red sub, spurned a few half chances and uh, yet another red sub, Ken Iwao, headed a corner against the bar late on. But uh, yeah, it wasn't to be Urawa's day. Although, yes, they've um, I think they showed enough to, to give their supporters... Um, well, they're not going to give up over after the first day of the season, are they? But yeah, th- their performance in general was, uh, was decent, was pretty good. And um, yeah, just a couple... Uh, a couple of moments they'd like to have back, but uh, yeah, the, probably the uh, the toughest or one of the toughest away days they're going to have uh, all season out of the way. Uh, they didn't get the result, but they're on to the next one. And as we said before, they host Verdi uh, on Sunday. All right, so just a final word on the stadium, Dan, because we're going to come on to uh, the next game and um, some some problems, logistical problems around it. Um, so literally no problems at all from from getting to whichever train station you're at to uh, to get to the ground and access was uh, was not a problem at all. So uh, Hiroshima for for uh, listeners who haven't been it's much more of a uh, streetcar city uh, than uh, subways or, or or trains which is as a Tokyoite does take a little bit of getting used to but uh, no re- super convenient I, th- I think you basically just take the streetcar uh, to this stop uh, near the atomic bomb dome uh, and you just walk up and it's about a five, maybe not even 10 minute walk uh, to get to the stadium grounds. And they're still uh, doing some construction in front of the stadium, but super easy. Um, I actually came the night before and I saw a few Arawa supporters uh, out and about already enjoying the nightlife. Uh, it was raining and miserable, based not as bad as it was in Tokyo on Sunday, but um, it, it was. I, I was surprised at how smooth everything seemed to go. Not really any choke points. Um, a big line for the the store, which is also gigantic. Uh, the the food lines were there, but they were manageable, and they were actually seemed to be moving pretty quickly. I think that they've uh mostly gone cashless uh if i'm not mistaken so that helped and yeah it, it was not nearly the the number of, of miscues that you would expect from a brand new stadium where uh staffers don't know where things are and they're still adjusting to things but uh you know it, it was a, a phenomenal experience and i do again thoroughly recommend anyone who's who's making their way to japan make their way to uh peace wing all right, absolutely tremendous. Thanks for the report, Dan. All right, so let's move on to uh, to one of the feature games from Saturday as uh, another of the promoted teams, uh, Machida Zelvia. They played their first ever top flight game. It was at home against Gumbar Osaka. And, yeah, we're going to come on to the logistical issues uh, around the uh, the Gion Stadium a little bit later. But, uh, Johnny, firstly, uh, the, uh, the respective lineups for this game and if there are any major surprises 
for you. Uh, Issa Sakamoto started up top for Gumba with uh, Isam Jabali uh, out of the squad, while uh, Zelvia with, were without both of their um, main goal scorers from 2023, Eric and uh, Mitch Duke, both uh, both out of the 18. And indeed, the Zelvia starting lineup, over half of them were uh, new signings into the club uh, this season. So, um, yeah, what were your thoughts when the, the team sheets dropped? Yeah, I think, uh, like we said in the match preview, it's really, really difficult to know. Like I, I saw them appear at both ends of, of different J-Preds, but you know, how good or, or otherwise they're going to be this season. And and honestly, after, you know, I think I wrote down there was, there was seven new faces in their, their starting 11, and then well, one of them, Nasang Ho, didn't last very long, and they brought back an old face, uh, Fujio. So, yeah, a, a lot of new players to integrate into to the lineup. Um, and Gamba had had six players who weren't there last season. Um, obviously, Ichimori and Sakamoto came back from, from loans. And that, that was actually exactly the same Gamba 11 that, that played against um, Hiroshima a couple of weeks ago in the, the, the opening game of the, the, the Peace Wing. Um, Jabali's picked up a slight injury, he said on, on social media. I don't think it's been that bad. Um, but we have you know, Sakamoto, Toyama, Usami and potentially the, the new signing Welton can, can all maybe kind of rotate there. I, I really like Sakamoto and I think if you can just get a goal, I think he'll, he'll be really good. So hopefully that, that comes soon from a Gamba perspective. But um, maybe some people might be surprised to see Nick Neta Lavi wasn't in the starting eleven. I think, again, he picked up a, an injury in the, in the preseason and he missed a couple of the, the kind of you know, the three times 45 minute games. And then he, he was he was a sub against Hiroshima, and I think Dawan and Suzuki did did pretty well. So he, he was on the bench. Um, but so the Gamba lineup, just, just the fact that the news that Jibali wasn't there, and also I mean we have we have a few injuries at, at goalkeeper, no Higashiguchi, no Ishikawa, and no Ch- uh, Cho Aurin, who's the, the fourth choice goalkeeper. He he was on the bench against Hiroshima, but he seemed to pick up an injury, and we had them. Um, just about to start his final year of high school, Joshua Sotaro Steman was the 16-year-old goalkeeper on the bench for Gamba, who, who fortunately wasn't wasn't called upon. But yeah, so we're, we're a bit bit thin on the ground there. But not too many problems, uh, not too many surprises for Gamba. I don't know if Machida fans had uh, any idea what the lineup was going to be given the amount of changes in, in in the off season. But yeah, but very interesting to see all the all the new faces together and how, how they came together. Yeah, all right then. Uh, Johnny, I'll come straight back to you then on the uh, yeah the first major flashpoint in this game. Uh, it was a, a penalty decision that went in favour of the hosts. And you mentioned that uh, Na Sung Ho uh, didn't last long in this game. He was subbed off uh, with, with an injury just a- after about 20-odd minutes. But yeah, in the 12th minute, uh, his cross from the left hit the arm of Shinosuke Nakatani. And after a, a long VAR delay, a penalty was given. And from the spot, Junior Suzuki had the honour of scoring Zelvia's first J1 goal, though a gumba keeper Jun Ichimori almost kept it out as a Suzuki blasted straight down the centre. So, um, yeah, a bit of a rough one for for Nakatani in his uh, Gumba bow. Um, any complaints about the penalty decision ultimately? Just my usual complaint that, that getting penalties for things like that is rubbish. The rules are the rules, and it, it was a it was a penalty. And and in, in fairness to Machida, they, they did deserve it for that that first half display. That they, they came at Gamba from the off. They, they won a corner, I think, within the first 15 seconds or so. Um, they, they racked up a, a lot of shots. Um, I think you know if if I was to, I mean, if I go for Gamba first, I, I didn't see anything positive from Gamba really in the, in the first half. Maybe. Going forward, Takuma Suzuki had some neat passing. And aside from being unlucky with the penalty, I think Nakatani was, was an influence at the back. 
uh, and Ichimori was quite decent, but Machida they were largely in control. Again, if we kind of come back to comparisons with the Verdi game, after dominating chances for, for the 45 minutes, they, they had a, a penalty for yeah, just kicking the ball at someone from almost point-blank range was all they had to show for their efforts. And you know, a kind of typical passage of play, especially in the first 20 minutes, like Machida got a corner, it was headed clear by Gamba, a Machida player on the edge of the box volleyed it back into a cluster of bodies, the ball came back out, and then the Machida player hit it again, it was deflected for another corner, rinse and repeat, and sometimes throw in some Kotaro Hayashi long throws. So it was very direct. Um, I think, you know, I feel bad kind of criticising them a bit because so many changes to the starting eleven and Nasang Ho went off and they didn't have Duke and Eric, like you said. But I think as this season goes on, they're going to have to get a bit more guile about what they do. That They very directly went for goal and, and that brought them the, the, the penalty. But, you know, I think they had 18 shots in this game and, and most of them in the first hour, but a lot of them not really, you know, just kind of kicking the ball at players' legs. So... Very up for it, and I'm sure the fans enjoyed it. Gamba fans certainly did not enjoy the first 45 minutes. They got a very, very rough ride, but like Tokyo Verdi, if you dominate a half to the extent they did and you only go in 1-0 up in J1 level, yeah, that's often not going to be enough. Yeah, indeed. So that uh, the, the penalty incident, yeah, as I said, happened in the 12th minute and the penalty was finally scored in the 17th minute. And Dan, the, 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 flash, the first flashpoint uh, really of the second half came at 15 minutes after the break when Zelvia midfielder Cayacento was shown a second yellow card for a high boot. And uh, yes, the hosts were down to 10 men for the last half hour. So as... Um, yeah, inductions go. The your first ever uh, J1 game to, uh, to to go a man down uh, with uh, with half an hour to go is uh, not the way it was scripted for them, was it? Certainly not. And I think Sento, uh, uh, as the captain, really needs to show more discipline there. You you can't be doing that when you're wearing the armband. You know, so I think you'll lose control of your emotions once in a while. That's one thing, but you just you can't. Um, especially in a game like this where you're trying to really set the tone for the season and 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 show, you know, you've got a big home crowd. It's your first J1 game. I think you want to really uh, set a, a good standard. And, yeah, it's unfortunate. I think it, it really did cost them, uh, cost Masha a shot at three points, which they could have very easily had if they didn't have to play the last half hour a man down. It's quite interesting. I think the, the coach, Go Kuroda, I don't think was very happy about the decision. I, I've i only seen a translation of what he said, and it didn't seem... It, it seemed a bit of the Japanese version of Jose Mourinho's I, I prefer not to speak so I don't get in trouble. But I know some of the, my like, uh, Japanese gamba friends that didn't really like the, the tone of what he said. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but um, I think the, the thing I would say about Sento... Because you know, he's been around for a long time at, at various clubs and he's generally been a winger or kind of number 10. Whereas obviously Machida have gone with him in the what the Japanese call the Boranchi, like, like holding midfielder role. And if, if, I, if I take a cliche, he's basically got his two yellow cards for two forwards challenges where, where he's gone through the back of one player with his studs up and he's gone flying in in an area where he doesn't need to go flying in and he's caught a player with his studs up. And for me, that's got to slightly go against the coach for... You know, trying to convert a player back 
that's maybe not used to get uh, kind of putting challenges in, or he's not used to playing in that position. And uh, as we saw, like when they kind of had a rearrangement after the after the red card, they brought on Hokuto Shimoda, who's a, who's a very experienced player in that position, who could have come in with with Kaishi Battle from the start. So yeah, I would question the, the selection of centre there slightly, but as Dan rightly points out, captain of the team is experienced. He doesn't need to make that challenge. It's rash and. I mean, I think Kuroda might be slightly annoyed in, in the, the San Frecce game. Um, Sho Sasaki got a yellow card quite early and got away with three, not nowhere near as bad challenges, but, you know, no one wants to red card the, the captain of the home team in the new stadium being opened. But he, he, he definitely skirted the line a lot, Sasaki. So maybe Kuroda was feeling a little bit hard done by that centre got a yellow card very early. And then you know you got another yellow card, but both times right in front of the referee. He he's got it. He's got to do better when he comes back into the team later later on in the season. Yeah, indeed, indeed. All right then. So well, yeah, Zelvia uh, looked like they might have been able to hold out for uh, what would have been a, a famous victory, but uh, just like uh, as what happened with Verdi on Sunday. Yes, there was a sting in the tail, and in the 84th minute. Uh, Gumba captain Takashi Usami curled a, a brilliant free kick up and over the wall and inside former teammate Korsei Tani's right-hand post for 1-1. So a, uh, an Usami special to equalise for Gumba. And obviously, yeah, they uh, they tried to make that man advantage really count after a going level. They uh, peppered Tani's goal in the last six minutes of uh, normal time and then stoppage time, but they were unable to find a winner despite a, yeah, a number of attempts. Uh, Kota Yamada was uh, busy throughout and, yes, uh, especially busy in the latter stages. But, um, yes, there was not to be a, a Gumba winner. So overall, final thoughts then on your your first game of the season, Johnny, before we uh, chat about some of the uh, the problems that uh, Gumba supporters had getting out of the uh, the, the Nozata Park uh, precinct. So, I mean, Gamba are notorious for being terrible starters to the season. I think we've got, we've got one win since 2011. So the fact we, we didn't lose and we've got that kind of seven game losing streak we had at the end of last season, that's now been kind of that that's been ended. Uh, like I said, this was a this was a massive banana skin and. Uh, you know, if, if Matchida had kept all 11 players on, I think they, they probably w- would have won. So that Gamba have been a bit lucky. Uh, I wasn't. Yeah, I think if if you're very if you're in the kind of Poyatos out camp, I, I don't think you would have seen anything that would have changed your mind. Hopefully, returning home man, n- next week, they do a bit better. But um, the, the real positive was if anyone's been watching Gamba's social media in the, the off season, they would have seen uh, Yasuhito Endo dishing out free kick taking lessons. Um, at the end of training in, in, in Okinawa. So uh, Exhibit A is Takashi Usami. So a wonderful strike against, uh, against yeah, let's say, former Gamba keeper uh, Kosei Tani. Absolutely brilliant. And, um, and if it was to be re- really kind of picky, you might say the difference between a team from the top of the league like, like Marinos and a team not from the top of the league like Gamba is that Marinos then went on and, and won a game that they really had no right to win. Whereas Gamba were just kicking the ball into players' stomachs and kind of punting long balls into to not very tall forwards and, and ended up with a 1-1 draw. Um, so, yeah, and I think from a, from a Machida perspective, I, I'm sure there's fans who've been there for, since the GFL days that are like, pinch me, we're, we're, in, we're in J1, we're playing against Gamba in front of 13,000 fans. They would have taken any result. There's probably other fans there that would have said, you know, if, it, if I bring up a boxing analogy, if it's a 12-round contest, first six rounds, Machida won hands down. They then took on some significant damage in the, the seventh round and were end up they were, they were just kind of clinging on for dear life at the end. So they almost kind of got 
got beat in a game they, they never should have lost. And it was actually quite funny because Kose Tani is still on loan from Gamba, but was allowed to play in this game and got quite a funny incident. He he actually got booked for time-wasting really near the end of the game in front of the Gamba fans, which I don't think went down very well. But his, his post-match comments were... Um, well, well, what do you expect me to do? And, and quite right. And yeah, just before we come on to the, the, the transport um, the transport talk, I'm going to throw in a quick trivia question. And for, for listeners, I'll, I'll reveal the answer just just before I say goodbye at the, the end of the pod. But this was the first league meeting between uh, Gamba and Machida Zelvia, but they did play each other in the 2012 Emperor's Cup. And one player who was on the field on Saturday also played and scored in that 2012 game. Who was he? Uh, stay tuned to, to the end of that. I'll give out give out the answer. But yeah, tr- transport talk then. Rightio. Oh, well, that's definitely a teaser. I'll be very attentive until the ep- end of the episode. Don't worry about that, Johnny. <laughs> uh, nice one. Nice one. All right. Um, yeah, Dan. So there have been uh, long-standing uh, transportation issues uh, around getting to and from Machida's uh, Gion Stadium. But um, for, well, I guess for, for J1 supporters, they really came to a head uh, on uh, Saturday. As Johnny said, over 13,000 uh, at the uh, at the stadium and yeah at the end of the day the transportation problems have um have meant that a number of gumba supporters have missed their shinkansen back to osaka and um yeah i mean the as as i said the long standing issues but they've really come to a head and this is something that machida is going to have to address uh, i think fairly uh, quick smart yeah, it's not a good look, and it, especially uh, because this this issue with access to the stadium, uh, which to uh, you know to to clarify for for listeners who again may not have have a good idea of the the geographical uh, setup over in Machida, it's forty minutes from Machida Station, it's thirty minutes from uh, Tama Center Station. Uh, it is. I think the nearest station is still 20 minutes away, and I think that's all uh, walking distance. So it's not it's not fantastic. Um, actually, I, I, might, I may be wrong. That might be the bus distance. Um, yeah, that's I, bus. I'll admit, yeah. I, I, I have not actually been to uh, Gion, and I'm not sure I, I will be, be rushing to make it there, given uh, what's happened. And, this, you know, you get clubs that are, you know, much more with much more remote stadiums and they have a good relationship with the city and they're able and the bus companies and they're able to set up shuttles or uh, lay on extra buses on match day, that sort of thing. And Macha have historically had problems with this. I think it came up last season uh, when Vigalta Sendai uh, came to play. And uh, it, this is unfortunately uh as as we say that their j1 baptism uh in a way and i'm sure that uh, the club will want to come up with a solution uh because this sort of thing does discourage visiting supporters from coming out uh and and visiting supporters are definitely much more willing to spend money uh in the area and that and that's something as a club that you're trying to do uh is, is generate uh, economic activity uh, and and make the, the your local sort of hometown city feel like uh, you are you're contributing to things. So we'll see uh, bitterly to tell. I'm not sure that there's going to be a solution overnight, uh, but you would like to see them make a, a good faith effort to to fix things and, and to improve the situation, because you can't have that sort of thing where a supporter, especially 
uh, in the weather uh, that, that we saw over the weekend. You know, you can't have supporters waiting outside for two hours in the middle of the night when it's raining uh, for a bus back to the station to get onto more buses, to get onto more trains, to get onto the Shinkansen to get back home. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a, a three o'clock kickoff and um, yeah, the temperature was under 10 degrees uh, uh, on Saturday. So it was a, a nice enough day. But yes, once the sun goes down and you're standing outside uh, waiting for a shuttle bus back to either Surukawa or Machida Station, then um, yeah, you want um, you want the, the club to be looking after you a, a little bit better. And um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, some supporters had waits of up to two hours uh, just to get on a shuttle bus, let alone um, the the pretty horrendous traffic uh, in suburban Machida on a on a Saturday evening. So yeah, there were huge problems for a number of supporters. Um, we know Gumba travel in their droves, and indeed their next home game is in match day three on uh, Saturday the 9th of March, and that's against Kashima Antlers. And we know that the uh, the Antlers uh, traveling hordes um, certainly roll up in numbers as well. So um, yeah, time is uh, running out for Machida to uh, yeah to try and sort their transportation issues. Uh, with this in mind, and knowing about what had um, transpired on Saturday and the number of people uh, posting their concerns on on Twitter, I actually reached out to a longtime friend of the podcaster, Aylan Kelly, who is many moons ago was our Machida correspondent or one of, along with uh, Dave Brooks, uh, when I was uh, doing the uh, the J2 specials long before uh, J Talk Extra Time uh, existed. I asked Aylan if there was a hack for getting uh, to uh, and or from uh, Nozuta, Nozuta Park. And uh, yeah, Aylan suggested a 15-minute a walk to the the Nozuta bus station and uh, catching a regular commuter bus rather than the uh, the club supplied shuttle buses. So um, I think when you get a, a shuttle bus from either Surakawa or Machida station, you have to pay a return fee, but you might have to eat the uh, the two or three hundred yen um, for your return fare just to um, yeah to to guarantee yourself a um, a decent timed exit from the park and its precinct. So um, yeah, I think if you're if you if you're a customer supporter heading to to Gion on the third uh, the ninth of March, then yeah, you might want to um, to Google uh, the the Nozata bus station and uh, try and make your way there after the game concludes and uh, not take your chances on uh, on waiting for a shuttle bus because Johnny, I mean, you're going to have the situation where uh, people are going to feel like they have to leave. At five minutes before the games finish, and I mean, okay, if your team's losing four uh, nil, supporters in Europe would be would be out the door anyway. But it's usually not the done thing in Japan, is it? You usually stay until the full time whistle and you cheer your team uh, as they do their lap or their half lap around suppl- uh, applauding the support. So definitely an issue that um, Machida is going to have to sort out. And do you know any um, Gumba supporters uh, personally who were affected by the this uh, issue on Saturday? Um, I, I don't actually know any, any Gamba supporters who, who were affected. I think a, a lot of the Japanese fans do go v- very early. Like I, I was up at eight o'clock on Saturday morning and I, I went on Twitter when I was making my breakfast. And so there were some fans already walking around the park in the, the semi-dark weather. They, they were there and they were they were ready to go. But uh, as, as we discovered before, Ben, we, we both lived in Machida. And yeah, I, I actually lived close to this, this Fuchinobe station, which is about four stations to the, um, to, to the west of, of Machida. And I lived about 15 minutes walk north of that. And then from my house to the stadium, the two times I went, it was a 40 minute walk. And there was a, there was a cafe Gasto on the way that I stopped at on the way back. 
But is, yeah, as like Dan said, if, if people who haven't been to this area, it's really difficult to describe because I went in the opposite entrance to the park from where the buses go in, like maybe a bit behind where, where the Gamba fans were on, on Saturday. And then when I left, almost no one leaves that way. So within about two minutes of leaving the, the park, I was in suburban Tokyo. And it, you do not feel like you're in one of the biggest cities in the world. It's just like trees and suburban houses and BMWs. And yeah, it, it really does not feel like the place that even a, a third division stadium would be located, let, let alone a, a first division stadium. Um, so I, mean, I, I know from Fujinobi they have buses to, and the, the weekdays would go to like universities and high schools. I don't know if it's an option, one of these other stations to, if you don't mind walking, if it's not the middle of summer, get a bus from another station and then walk about 20 minutes or something for, from, from the end of the line there. That might be an option. But yeah, I think Machida, they're going to have to do something because... I mean, when Gamba, you might think it's miles away, but there's a lot of Gamba fans live in Tokyo, have moved there for work, and they do travel in numbers. Kashima is going to be exactly the same problem. Urawa, FC Tokyo, there's so many teams in Kanto, and Marinos, Kawasaki. This problem is not going to go away, so they're going to have to fix it pretty sharpish. Uh, I will yes. add that one one solution uh, they're finding this season is that they'll be hosting four games at the National Stadium in Tokyo. So that that is that that is one way to solve the the the, the travel issue. It may it may actually take less time for the Machida supporters uh, to take a, a an express train. Uh, the the Odaku line, isn't it? You take that into Shinjuku and then you change over to the JR and you hop onto the Sobu and you're there. It's probably much more efficient than going to Gihon. So I don't know. I mean, I think that that we'll we'll have to have another discussion later uh, about sort of the the lack of a central Tokyo team and what what Mashida being a Tokyo team really means. But uh, I think they're going to explore a lot this season. Indeed. So, yeah, you might be getting to some Machida home games after all, Dan, but yeah, not at the uh, the actual uh, Gion Stadium, rather at the National. But um, yeah, thanks to Aylan for uh, replying and yeah, with your suggestion. So um, I, I guess, yeah, if you're a, a supporter of a rival club heading to Gion and you want to get some more uh, information about the, um, yes, the, the, the regular uh, commuter buses, then yeah, get in touch with us. And um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll liaise with uh, Aylan, uh for you, perhaps. So we'll we'll leave it there. It was a, a yeah a one-one draw uh, on Saturday for the black and blue half of Osaka, and it was also a point taken from match day one for the pink half of Osaka as a Cerezo hosted FC Tokyo, and uh, this game finished 2-2, Dan. So, uh, yes, we got off to a draw start, as uh, Johnny's team did, and it was uh, certainly quite an in- introduction to uh, FC Tokyo by uh, Ryotaro Araki, who uh, matched Yuki Ohashi with a, a pair of goals. But, uh, yeah, Araki, his, uh, his opening day brace was uh, extremely well taken. As a Tokyo fan, I think we're as Tokyo fans we're loving it. As Kashima fan, you know, I'm sure Kashima fans listening uh, are are going to be quite upset because I mean you 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 hate to see a player w- w- with skills like that go elsewhere and and immediately settle into things. Uh, I think that uh, Tokyo, I, w- I won't say necessarily say that that they deserved a win, uh, but they they certainly did incredibly well uh, to fight back and, and get a draw. And Araki's goals were were phenomenal. And 
uh, it's exactly what you want to see from a new player, uh, especially after after the attacking struggles last season. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I'll come back to you, Dan, because there are a couple of huge calls by uh, the manager, Peter Klamowski, uh, when the team sheets dropped. Uh, goal Hatano was preferred in goal to Taishi Brandon Norzawa, some suggesting that um, that might because uh, uh, be because Nozawa was not 100% uh, after returning from injury. But, um, yeah, I have it that Hatano is going to be the number one going forward. And even bigger was the the news that the the rookie centre-back, Kunta Doi, uh, the son of the former Tokyo and national team goalkeeper Yoichi, was chosen ahead of Masato Morishige in central defence. Now, Morishige has obviously missed the odd game uh, here and there over his, um, what is it? This is his 14th year, I think, uh, at Tokyo. But um, yeah, I think this is the first time he's ever been dropped for a, a first-year player. And if this is the uh, the sort of moves that uh, Klamovsky is going to be, um, yeah, be pulling off going forward, then um, it's going to be never a dull moment, I think, at FC Tokyo this season. I, I think it shows uh, I don't, maybe bravery is too strong a word, but I think that as a manager, you do need to show resolve and and make those those tough decisions and be willing to bring in fresh blood. I think that, it, you know, you, you look uh, speak of Morishige and, and players. I, I, don't, I don't think that Morishige is, is necessarily past his his prime and at the point where he shouldn't be be starting but of course we we bang the keigo higashi drum uh over and over again whenever he gets a start and he he just seems to keep hanging in there uh much like uh yohei kajiyama our old friend uh used to in the waning days of his career so you know i I think it's i think it's good to see uh peter make make these decisions and, and bring in new players and of course i mean Contador, I mean his his father, who is of course uh, Tokyo's uh, former starting goalkeeper, and I think now he's a goalkeeper coach at a Yokohama FC, uh, if if I'm not mistaken. Um, I mean Doi was the 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 first team, you know, the the starting goalkeeper in the first season. I started following the club, so uh, it's it's nice to see uh, players with, with that heritage uh, come up and and play for the same same team, and it really does hammer home how long the J-League has been going on, that now you have the sons of J-League players. Uh, and, of course, Kota Mizunuma uh, at Yokohama F. Marinos is the same thing. Is the same thing. His father played that opening game in 93. Uh, so it, it does hammer home the legacy of the J-League and how much it's grown and, and how long it's been going on for. A, a question for, for both of you, but maybe I'll throw it back to, to Dan first. I mean, how, how did how did Doi do? Because I've only seen the highlights, and the highlights didn't really make... Well, Trevis on him, but, but uh, Kashif didn't really come out with the highlights looking very good. Uh, I didn't really see Doi feature much, but obviously against uh, Leo Ciara, who's one of the top strikers in the league, uh, how did you guys think, think he did, uh, Dan? I think he did okay. I mean, you know, it's I like I'll, I'll admit I I was a, a bit exhausted after my trip on Friday. I did not give this game uh, the full hundred uh, percent attention uh, on on first watch that I maybe would have under normal circumstances. But I think you know, if a rookie starting uh, in in a game like this. Um, yeah, I think he acquitted himself just fine. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe didn't make you know the man of the match, but um, I, I I think coming out of the game with the draw, 
uh, away, you know, that's that's as best as you can expect from a situation like that. Yeah, I thought he was okay. Yeah, good positionally, and yeah, he's comfortable with the ball at his feet. Um, yeah, a few a few jitters here and there, but um, yeah, overall, I think yeah, it, it was a pass mark, and um, yeah, it wasn't Trevisan's uh, best game. That's uh, that's for definite. But yeah, uh, I think Doy, um, as far as uh, debut first team debuts go, was uh, yeah uh, serviceable and. Um, hopefully the start of um, a really long career. And uh, he, he didn't look out of place uh, at all uh, in his, uh, his debut. So um, yeah, Cerezo took the lead twice in this game, Johnny, uh, first through Kapishaba uh, in the 27th minute, but uh, Araki equalized just seven minutes after that, when he steered in uh, Kuruyumatsuki's shot from distance. And then uh, six minutes after the break, Cerezo went Back on top when the new signing Shunta Tanaka escaped the attentions of the previously mentioned Enrique Trevisan and headed in a Lucas Fernandez corner. So a couple of Cerezo new signings uh, combining to make it 2-1. But then uh, Jaja Silva had a an impressive cameo off the bench and he set up Araki for his second with 15 minutes left. And uh, that proved to be the final goal of the game, although uh, Tokyo were indebted to uh, Gol Hatano for making a uh, point-saving low save from uh, Kapishaba uh, with uh, two minutes left. So, yeah, Kapishaba impressive for Cerezo, and uh, he had a running battle with the Yuto Nagatomo that was, uh, yeah, captivating watching, while, um, yeah, on the on the right-hand side for Cerezo, uh, Seiya Maikuma was his uh, typical busy self, and indeed he played a role in uh, Kapishaba's first goal. But, um, yeah, coming away from this game, Johnny, I guess, yeah, Araki steals the headlines, and, uh, yeah, as I said with Dan, yeah, two really well-taken goals, and uh, as I say, hopefully that's the start of, uh, of more to come from him. Yeah, absolutely. I was I was looking up my Mekan and his two goals in this game equals his total in all competitions from the previous two two seasons at, at Kashima already. So I, I guess I mean, I'm sure Sam's Sam's listening. It, the, the more goals Araki scores for FC Tokyo, I think that the, the more likely uh, Daiki Iwamasa is to not work in Japanese football again. And if what I said the, the other week in the, the FC Tokyo preview with them. Um, with you and Thomas is right, then you know maybe FC Tokyo might want to have a look at Yuta Matsumura to come in and replace Nakagawa. He he might have have a, a bit to to say when he he leaves Kashima and comes to FC Tokyo. But yeah, I think Araki, if he can keep that that up, well, I mean if he keeps up two goals a game, he'll be winning the Ballon d'Or. But it couldn't really <laughs> have started any, any any better for him. Uh, we're really really happy for him after that that great season he had back in 2021. It's always good to see a young player come good. Quite interesting to see, you know, he, he was a new signing in the lineup, but uh, Ko, Endo and Ogashiwa were, were nowhere to be seen. Um, so mm. hopefully they can get it kind of eased in as, you know, as, as the weeks go by. And also I'm, I'm feeling quite glad that, you know, when we talked with Thomas, I, I was almost going to have a go at Jaja Silva and sort of put him in with the another example of FC Tokyo recruiting pr- poorly from overseas. But yeah, he, he finally showed something and, you know, he left, say, Maikuma for dead to set up that, that second goal. And he, he looked like, yeah, he, he's going for for a start at, at some point and hopefully he can show a bit more than he, he did last season. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, Dan said that you're quite happy for the point. I, I know I asked you last week, Ben, if you'd, be, if you'd take a point. I must admit, was, I felt a bit guilty after saying that. Is that, is that a bit cheeky? Would FC Tokyo maybe go there expecting a win? But uh, I guess for first day of the season, this is a tough game for Serizo. It's a tough game for FC Tokyo. Probably FC Tokyo being, being away from home. 
they, they would be more happy with the, with the point. But I think Serizo, after the kind of attacking struggles last season, and especially how they finished this season, they couldn't couldn't get a goal. I think seeing that kind of Ostridente of Capishaba, who you said looked really good, uh, Leo Ciara and, and Lucas Fernandez with um, and Vitor Bueno coming off the bench. I think that, that that's a sign of good things to come. And, and Shunta Tanaka and the, the midfield anchor role, he, he got he got good ratings and he, he got that goal. So maybe just at, at the back, they're a bit short of injuries and, and Funaki had to come in there at centre-back. That, that might be an issue kind of going forward. But I think, yeah, but but I think both, both sides, Arizona FC, Tokyo, they think they can spin this result in, in quite a positive way to, to start off the season. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, after going behind twice, yeah, you, you, I think you take a point, don't you? And um, I didn't necessarily think that the the, the second reply was uh, was coming, so I was uh, very happy when it did. And yeah, surprised at the uh, at the creator of it, Jar Jar Silva. Yeah, I hadn't seen an awful lot from him to get me excited last season, but um, yeah, it was a very impressive uh, off the bench and uh, yeah, a first assist, hopefully of many of the season for him, as we said for Araki's second goal. So, um, yeah, Cerezo, I guess they they probably had a a chance to put their foot on Tokyo's throat after going 2-1 ahead, but they were unable to add to their advantage. And, uh, yeah, 2-2 it finished, and just about fair dues, I think, uh, at the end of the day. Um, Cerezo, yeah, probably, yeah, well, definitely the more disappointed of the two teams having taken the lead twice, as we said. All right, then. So, uh, Dan, I think this is where we'll uh, bid you a Thanks ever so much for your thoughts uh, on these uh, four games that we've uh, chatted about with you and all the issues surrounding them. Um, Yeah, enjoy uh, the season as it progresses, and we hope to catch up with you again uh, very soon. Absolutely. Thanks again uh, to you and Johnny for having me. And I'll I'll say uh, as a message to all the Tokyo-based listeners, uh, don't forget, uh, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, uh, you still got time to uh, arrange an an early exit from work to catch Nadesco Japan on Wednesday, Uh, the, the big... Uh, decider against North Korea to see who's going to the Olympics. Uh, that's going to be a huge one. I'll be there. You should be there too. Uh, let's get it done. Terrific. And uh, sorry, Dan, I should give you the opportunity to plug your uh, excellent newsletter, The Hachi. Uh, where can listeners who are not aware of it yet find it? Oh, thank you. Uh, yes, uh, that is my my new project for the, for the year um, on Japanese sports, uh, everything everything buzzworthy and, and, and beyond. So uh, check it out at Dan Orlowitz. Uh, no spaces uh, dot substack dot com. Uh, you can go to my profile on Twitter and it's uh, the, the, the first pinned post. So uh, please do check it out. Subscribe. Totally free to read, free to subscribe and uh, hopefully more cool stuff coming uh, over the course of the year. Welcome back, and let's uh, resume our review of uh, J1 Match Day 1, Johnny, by uh, heading to Nagoya's Toyota Stadium for the other game uh, that kicked off the new season on Friday. This was uh, an evening kickoff with the Grampus hosting Kashima Antlers. And I'll tell you what, uh, match day one is usually reserved for uh, overreaction theatre on the J-Talk podcast, the first time we've mentioned it uh, on this episode uh, to this point. But, um, yeah, it's pretty clear to me after this uh, game uh, in match day one that uh, Kashima are going to be champions under Ranko Popovich and uh, Nagoya better pack their bags for J2. <laughs> yeah, well, you could easily come to that conclusion based, based on what we saw on fr- Friday night. You know, 
we said, but both of these coaches are potentially under a bit bit of pressure, and everything before the game said this would be quite quite an even contest, and it, it turned out to be one of the most one-sided games of, of, of the match day. You know, the Nagoya fans, what they must be thinking, there's a bit big game atmosphere, the TIFOs, the chanting, two original 10 teams, almost 37,000 fans in, in Toyota Stadium, and they must have left like, shell-shocked by what they saw. I mean, Nagoya so often a, a byword for for defensive stability across the last kind of half decade, just just ripped apart by Kashima side that have not always been known for the, the attacking flair in recent years. Yeah, uh, v- v- very as you say, c- contrasting emotions among both sets of supporters. And yeah, brilliant brilliant start from Kashima already back where they'll feel they belong at the top of the table. And Kenta Hasegawa and Nagoya, big big pressure, big big pressure on them right now. Yeah, I reckon it was, um, yeah, for many, uh, the most eye-opening scoreline uh, of the match day. Nagoya nil, Kashima 3, a brace for Hayato Nakama and a goal on his Antlers debut for Alexander Kavric. Uh, Kavric also setting up uh, Nakama for his second and uh, the third of the game and um, yeah very very one-sided and some some obviously some major issues for for Kenta Hasegawa to address uh, Nakama gave Antlers a 19th minute lead when he volleyed past uh, Mitch Langerak uh, after Naomichi Wada had headed a half cleared corner back into the box early in the second half it was 2-0 after uh, Kavrich sandwiched between two defenders uh, somehow managed to get his head on a Koki Anze cross and then uh, Kavrich did superbly down the right, lofted over across to supply Nakama with a simple-headed finish for his second of the evening. And yes, to wrap up, a brilliant start to Ranko Popovich's reign as Antlers manager. So, well, can you pinpoint anything in particular that went wrong for, for Grampus, Johnny? Because, as I said, an eye-opening scoreline and um, a, a distinct lack of chances for them uh, in attacking areas. And, yeah, defensively, well, I, I think Langerak definitely missed those uh, departed uh, three centre-backs centre that we talked about on uh, last week's preview episode. Well, let's start with, with attack. So the, maybe the surprise was, I guess, Yamagishi's injured because he, he wasn't in the squad. So so Patrick, uh, an old Hasegawa favourite, he partnered Kasper Junker up front. And they had the, the, the two the two wide players, the new Yamanaka from, from Cerezo and, and Kubo, who came in last year from Fujieda. And as everyone listening at home is probably aware, there was a very obvious tactic, and that is for the good crossing wide players to, to aim long balls at the two tall strikers. And I think, unfortunately, that there's defenders in this league. Patrick can bully, and Kashima's defenders are not defenders that he can bully. And as much as I love Patrick from his Gamba days, he was a complete non-factor in this game. He, he might as well have not been on the field for, for the time he was. Juncker is a bit more dynamic, so there was times where he got the ball in a bit of space, but... You know, Ueda and Sekigawa and the central midfielders, they were on them, swarming them like, like ants. I think Kashima had got the, the defensive tactics spot on. Nagoya had, had one role plan in attack and it, it didn't work. And I think at, at the end of this match, the, um, uh, Hayakawa, the, the Kashima goalkeeper, he was the only goalkeeper in the league that didn't either have to make a save or pick the ball out of his, his own net, which is how ineffectual uh, Nagoya were going forward. Um, in midfield, then they, they kind of changed to the like we said with with Marinos or Visel, where they, Inagaki was the, the the sole pivot as opposed to previous seasons where they've gone very like, conservative with Inagaki and usually Yonemoto sitting in front of that very strong back three. So Inagaki with um, 
with Morishima and Izumi ahead of him. And as good as he is, again, Kashima, they picked on him, they double teamed him. He found himself getting overrun in front of that, that back three. And yeah, the, the, the back three itself, um, again, Ha-Chang Reyes coming from Pohang, he wasn't in the squad. I assume due to injury. Nogami is still there on the right. But then you had uh, Kennedy, Edmus Mikuni in central defence. And then Shion Inoue, who's a, another J1, who's a J1 debutant on the left side of defence. And Mikuni, I'm sorry, he, he had a mayor. And Inoue, I think both of them, they might have fallen into the category if you put them in a back three with, with Mariyama and Nakatani. Can get talked through the game. But the fact that the two of them were there together and Nogami was off to the right. Yeah, it just it did not it did not work. Chaffrich grew into the game. I think you know, he looks like a very classical Kashima striker. He's hardworking. You know, he, he doesn't doesn't know the, the meaning of the word quit. He, he's I don't, he's not as big as I thought he was going to be, but he, he's very physical. He, he can run. He can control the ball, and he, he just ran ran them ragged. And the further Nagoya got got behind, the more you could see it affected the younger players. Mikuni was giving the ball away cheaply. In no way as well was getting kind of bounced off the ball. It just was a, a disaster. You know, you mentioned the, f- the first two goals. The, the first one, the Chaffrich scores. I had to watch this ten times. I'm still not convinced he gets his head in the ball. Uh, I think it's more <laughs> of a, a combination of of Mikuni and Inoue. In, in, in but you know, <laughs> it's been given to him, so I'll accept that. And then, yeah, the, the third goal because the, the, the zone missed half of it. And, you, and they get a lot of stick and rightly so sometimes, but you can't really blame them because it came from a an innocuous throw in midway through midway into to Kashima's um you know Kashima's half. They just hoof it downfield and then Chavrich and Higuchi do a one two and then Chavrich just runs down the wing, bounces off Mikuni embarrassingly easily, and then all of the Nagoya defenders just go to the near near post and Higuchi and Nakama wait at the back post and he just chips it over and it is just you can see Mitch Langerak like you say, like, where's my defence gone? This is just yeah embarrassingly easy and Kashima could probably score more if they wanted to. Uh, not, not to blow my own trumpet, but one player I did say to, to watch from, from Nagoya was um, was Ken Masui, the young player from Kansai Gakuin. And I think he was the one player for me who got pass marks from Nagoya. He came on and he looked lively and he didn't just do the most obvious thing. He tried to take on players. He probably falls slightly into the, the Naoki Maeda for, for Urawa, Urawa in that he, he came on when the other team were just managing the game, so it's easier to look a bit better. But I'd really like mm. to see him get, get a run out from, from the start in the, the next game, like his former uh, university teammate uh, Kimito Nono did. He, he was a debutant straight out of Kansai Gakuin, right back for Kashima. Look, looked pretty decent, but he wasn't really tested. But yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I was negative in the guy at the end of last season. I wanted to be positive, but... This was just horrible, a horrible, horrible start to the season for Nagoya. Absolute delight for Kashima. Indeed. Well, yeah, momentum shouldn't really carry into a new season, should it, when the other, the previous season finishes uh, two or three months ago. But, yeah, it was just the same old, same old from uh, from Grampus as to uh, how they finished 2023. And, um, yes, a, a, well, frankly, terrible performance, as uh, Johnny said, in front of almost 37,000 fans at the Toyota Stadium. And, um, yes, they uh, will have gone home scratching their heads, no question. But for Antlers, um, well, the, the first game of the season could not have gone any better. And we even got to see the Phantom of the Opera uh, come <laughs> off the bench for the last 20 minutes. So Yuma Suzuki uh, returning and, uh, yeah, looking quite fetching, I must say, in his uh, his black mask. Um, yeah, certainly made a nuisance of himself as he, he is a want to do. So, yeah, Antlers... 
flying and top of the table uh, after match day one. Uh, they they are a goal of goal difference ahead of both Hiroshima and the defending champions, Vissel Kobe, who headed to Shizuoka on Saturday afternoon to take on promoted Iwata. A, a great crowd at the Yamaha Stadium of just under 15,000 were there. But um, yeah, Johnny, another home team fluffing their lines in the uh, in the first round of the new season. But I think in Iwata's case, uh, unlike uh, Machida and uh, Verdi, who impressed us for uh, yeah for various reasons in their uh, J1 uh, bows, for uh, Iwata it was just a case of uh, appearing uh, not quite good enough against a, a Kobe side who, as we know, as defending champions, uh, have uh, uh, playing with a certain confidence and a certain swagger these days. Yeah, I, th- I think anyone um, who's got Vissel Kobe in the top three of their J-Pred and Jubilo Iwato in the bottom three is probably still feeling quite smug after after watching this game. And, you know, I, I don't know if, I don't know if Vissel listened to the pod, but certainly claims from us and, and maybe others that they might have been, you know, not, not quite as up for the fight this year. I think that that was all put to bed with a a battling display full of verve and energy. They simply they, they, they just worked harder than Jubilo. They moved the ball quicker. They closed the Jubilo players down quicker. And I'm being kind if I say I think that these look like two teams from different ends of the same the same league. I think Vissel, Idiguchi was the only, the only new player in the starting eleven from, from last year. Obviously, there was still no Muto. And, you know, to, to try and avoid using a cliche, maybe if you were someone watching J-League for the first time and you said... Can you pick out the, the new player in the VCL team? It absolutely would not have been Idiguchi. He was everywhere. It was fantastic with, with him, Yamaguchi, and, and Ogiwara in that midfield. They, they really just bossed it, dominated. Um, Jubilo, um, they, we could still be playing now, and they, they wouldn't have scored, I think. Um, you know, they had four four new players in the starting 11, including uh, Hiroto Uemura, who everything I thought about this guy was that he's a central midfielder, and he was in it right back on his, his debut. And yeah, we picked out Rei Hirakawa, the former FC Tokyo player. I was I was really disappointed to see him in the left wing because I, I know Yamada as a, as a Jubilo legend, but he's getting to the end of his career. He's been relegated at least a couple of times with Jubilo. I think you know, Hirakawa's the man. You, you signed him as a number 10. If you're going to play him in the left wing, you'd be as well just leaving him on the bench and putting on someone in, on as a left winger. And he got hooked at, after 45 minutes when it, it just wasn't go, going right. And yeah, it's overreaction station, but you know, I think I didn't see anything from Jubilo that made me think this is many different from the last couple of times I've been in J1. Yeah, they were they're not terrible by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah, no no cutting edge in front of goal and just kind of outworked, outpassed. Bissell had all the territory, all the possession. Two 0 was very comfortable. I think Bissell could, if they needed it to be more, I think Bissell could have scored more goals. Very clinical. That they did what what Marinos and Gamble weren't able to do. I mean, you're never going to silence a, a J1 home crowd, but they they definitely put a big puncture in the, in the atmosphere with that early well taken goal, and then they did the same at the start of the second half. Clinical well well taken goal it kills off any chance of a, a Jubilo comeback. So a professional days work from from Vissel and yeah Jubilo. I don't I don't want to be too negative because we, we might be even quite negative on them for the, for the whole season, but there'll be easier games to come for Jubilo. Put 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 it that way. Yes, yes, agreed. So as you say, Johnny, it was a, a goal early in each half 
that uh, was uh, more than enough for Kobe to cruise past uh, Iwata Koyo Iruki in the fifth minute and uh, Daiju Sasaki in the fourth minute of the second half. Um, yeah, two uh, very well taken goals, it must be said. And uh, yeah, I guess pleasing for, uh, for Takeyuki Yoshida that, uh, yeah, he didn't have to rely on uh, a Yuya Osako goal uh, to get his side the, the three points here, though, uh, to be fair to Osako, his excellent assist center Sasaki racing clear for the second goal. And, um, yeah, I guess it's worth mentioning that, uh, as we suspected, well, as you suspected, Johnny, uh, Eiji Kawashima was in goal uh, for Iwata. And, uh, well, yeah, uh, quite a rude reintroduction to the J-League for uh, Eiji with, uh, yes, uh, Yuruki's goal uh, in just the fifth minute. But um, otherwise, he, um, yeah, acquitted himself uh, reasonably well, uh, I guess, on his return to the J-League. All right, so, yeah, winning starts and uh, comfortable ones for both the Antlers and for Kobe. Uh, next, we'll uh, cover a couple of uh, 2-1 away wins uh, in match day one. The first for Kawasaki away at uh, prefectural rivals Shonan uh, at the Lemon Gas Stadium on Saturday. We've spoken about some of the big crowds in match day one. Well, yes, for Shonan, a crowd of 12,987 was their biggest at the Lemon Gas Stadium since match day one versus Urawa in 2020. That was before COVID and literally before COVID. The, the first game of the season was played and then the league went into recess for uh, four or five months, wasn't it, Johnny? So, uh, yes, and indeed, the, the last time Shaunan had the, this many spectators at their ground, it wasn't even called the Lemon Gas Stadium. It's back when it was uh, the BMW Stadium. But uh, yes, Shaunan made a, a very bright start here and took the lead in just the seventh minute through uh, Masaki Ikeda. His uh, terrific shot from inside the D uh, flashed past uh, Junsung Ryong before he knew anything about it. But uh, if that was a special, then uh, Frontale captain Yasuto Wakizaka's equaliser in the 24th minute was uh, even better. A uh, left-footed pile driver from uh, Wakizaka from 25 yards that gave uh, Daiki Tomi no chance as it flew past him into the far top corner. And I'll tell you what, it was, um, there must have been something in the water bottles on the side of the pitch in this game, Johnny, because Satoshi Tanaka almost uh, broke the crossbar four minutes after Wakizaka's goal. Um, yeah, they, they were trying pot shots from everywhere and um, it was uh, quite a spectacle for the first half hour. Yeah, I think this game came across as like there were very few clear-cut chances, but the standard of shooting was absolutely unbelievable. Like you say, in both the first half and the second half, um, yeah, brilliant start from from Shonan with with Ikeda's goal, and then yeah, I forget forgetting all the cliches out tonight. We'll say well, Wakizaka's shot would still be travelling if it, if the net hadn't been there to stop it. It's absolutely <laughs> yeah. unbelievable strike, and then Tanaka channeling his inner Paul Scholes, yeah. Defensive midfielder off a off a wing back's corner. It's a yeah, f- fantastic stuff. I think yeah. I mean, the other things I would I would say uh, away from that. Shonan have been a, a back three team for for as long as I can remember, but they actually went for a a four four two. Um, so I'll, I'll see how long they, they stick with that. They obviously needed to make changes after a you know pr- pretty overall a pretty dire season results wise last year. So they've gone four four two and. Yuto Suzuki, I suspected he wasn't good enough to play right back for, for Jubilo in J1. He was more of a wing back. Well, he was at right back for Shonan. So um, 
yeah, we'll, we'll see how that, that pans out. But that, that was interesting to note. And you know, Frontale looking very much like Uruguay in this game with those kits. It is always nice to see two home team, two home kits against each other. But, I mean, their defence looked, looked really young. They, they, you know, Takai's 19, the defenders 19, 23, 24 and 26. Um, I really like the look of, of Sotomuro down, down the left. Um, it, it, it also adds the, the kind of bonus of being able to take like, left-footed set plays. But, yeah, I mean, Kawasaki have had trouble with Shonan in the past. So, um, yeah, they've they got a real fright in the first half of this game, conceding conceding early doors. And then if, if you're, they're firing in volleys from outside the box off the off their bar, I think they'd be quite happy to go in 1-1 at half time. Indeed, and then they went ahead, Frontale, 11 minutes into the second half, and it was a uh, horror goal for uh, for Shonan to concede. Their new club captain, Kim Min Tae's back pass to uh, Tommy, got stuck under the keeper's feet, and the new Frontale striker, Edison, stole in and scored with a uh, minimum of fuss, leaving Tommy red-faced. Uh, Shonan thought that equalised with 20 minutes left when uh, Junosuke Suzuki's low 25-yard drive flashed in past Jung, but a former Frontale man Hiroyuki Abe had got a slight touch on it, apparently from an offside position, though replays were inconclusive, to say the least, uh, from uh, the way I saw it, Johnny. But uh, anyway, the, the goal was not allowed to stand, and uh, indeed, Wakizaka almost made it 3-1 with uh, 11 minutes left, but his uh, curler was tipped onto the bar by Tommy. So a winning start for Frontale, but Frontale supporters were not letting you off that easy. Uh, Johnny, a quick word about their uh, latest ACL horror show uh, last midweek. Uh, it looked uh, all set up for them uh, to make it through to the quarterfinals, only to have a, uh, well, I guess, a typical Frontale ACL meltdown. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's really hard to know what, what, what to make of it. I mean, the Frontale fans, they must have been, dream, Dreamland's probably too much, but you might be thinking, well, this is our chance. This is we've got we've got the away result. We just have to beat this team at home that they've not done particularly well against Marinos. We've done well against them away, and then yeah, find themselves two two nil down early doors. They get it back to two two, and then it goes to three two, and then yeah, the, the, the final goal, the final nail in the coffin right at the end. Yeah, it, you really just you, you wonder where you know where does Aniki go go from there? Does he have another goal ne- next season or? You know, it comes back to that old criticism we heard before from, from Scott McIntyre about Oniki in cups. You, you think he's improving now and then that then they're out. But I mean, I, I think I, I can sympathise with an extent to an extent. It's the beginning of the, the season. They're trying to integrate new players. There've been a lot of changes o- over the winter. But then, I mean, yeah, Marinos managed to get it done. It was set up in their favour and they, they just didn't, didn't get it done. So, I mean, I guess from, from that perspective, they would have been gutted. At least there was no real hangover. Like like Marinos, they won, but you sense there was a bit of a hangover in the Verde game. I think here, uh, you know, they didn't play amazingly, but they've ground out a, a result. And I really do like the look of of Everson. I mean, the, the good thing about for, for as a non-Frontale fan, I've, you've been able to see him in three games before J1 starts. So we feel like we've got more of a look at the new players at, at Frontale. And I think mm. Everson is someone. If he can stay fit, I think he's been with a genuine shout of, of winning the, the J1 Golden Boot. And I think that that celebration, I haven't quite worked out what he's doing, but I think we're going to be seeing an awful lot more, more of that. Uh, I really like his, his awareness to rob Tommy and also the, the strength to hold him off as he tried to, to haul him down and keep his composure. That, that was really good. And I'm guessing Song Bum Kun was on, on the bench because he'd been away with Korea uh, in the, in the off season. But 
I think he'll be back back quite soon. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess you know, Abe's a former former Frontale player, and I'm sure Oniki would be happy. I, I think I heard the word Oshiri or backside, so maybe it's like as as Moon in the um, in the in the Asian Cup, but it, I think they got a bit bit of a let off, but. Really, really hard to take for Frontale fans after all those years of trying in the ACL and finally getting so far. Um, but so they're just going to have to focus on on the league for for now. And th- this is a decent start because Shonan won't be won't be pushovers for anyone in, the, in their home stadium, especially not in front of a bit big big crowd. So it's been a tough week for Frontale, but at least they ended in so, on something of a something of a high. They did indeed, and uh, yeah, your points well made on uh, Edison. He does look, uh, yeah, a, a terrific player, and um, goodness knows uh, how many goals he'll be banging in this season. All right, well, uh, yes, the so the 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 two one away win at the Lemon Gas Stadium uh, for Frontale that was a result matched by uh, Niigata away at uh, Tosu's real estate agent in front of the station stadium. And, um, yeah, in a game that was uh, eerily similar, Johnny, it had the home team making a dream start. In uh, Tosu's case, it was when uh, Akito Fukuta gave them a fifth-minute lead, firing across uh, Ryosuke Kojima and into the net via a slight deflection after a cross was only half cleared. But yes, uh, just like Wakizaka did for Frontale, uh, Kaito Taniguchi equalised for Niigata in uh, sensational style. Uh, Taniguchi's goal came uh, deep into first half stoppage time. Indeed, the the two allotted minutes were up by the time a, a ball over the top found Taniguchi in stride. And he's a brilliant first-time strike. Well, brilliant is selling it short. Uh, first-time strike flashed across Park Il-Gyu, who can save pretty much everything. But, yeah, there was no way Park was keeping this one out. And it went in off the inside of the far post. So, um, well, I think we've got two candidates for uh, for goal of the season that we're going to have to file away already, Johnny. Uh, which one did you prefer? So which is the clubhouse leader, uh, Wakizaka or Taniguchi? I can't choose Usami, no. <laughs> uh, maybe we should have a separate category for free kicks, but yeah, from open play, I, I, I reckon these two take the uh, take the cake from match day one. Um, oh, for, for the sake of not upsetting any patrons, because I don't know if we've got any Niigata fans, I, I'll go for Lucky Saka. <laughs> but it's two, two, two fantastic goals, and I think you know, I, I mean, I guess the timing of both of them was good, but like you mentioned. For Niigata to go on 1-1 after the kind of first half they'd had, where Sagantosu seemed to go off to a, to a fantastic start with with a goal, which was an absolute disaster from a Niigata perspective. I think um, Kojima kicks the ball straight out, and then Den gets pulled out of position, Akiyama doesn't clear properly, and then Michael James deflects the shot in. It's an absolute horror show. Then, then Marcelo Hian has a couple of chances in the first 10 minutes, and, and it seemed like you know, Sagantosu's energy and high pressing really just got in amongst Niigata and their slow kind of patient build up but yeah Taniguchi was someone we talked about in the in the pre-season preview is a player that was maybe going to need to step up a bit more this season to bring in a few more goals and you know he certainly answered us and then some of that fantastic almost Marco Van Basten but from further out um goal yeah I'm a huge fan of Park Yogyu as everyone knows and he does redeem himself somewhat in the in the second half but you know fair play anyone can beat Park Yogyu from that distance I doff my cap to them 
Yeah, yeah. For the record, I'll uh, I'll split the vote. I reckon Taniguchi's was uh, slightly better. I'm not worried about offending uh, any patrons <laughs> at all, Johnny. And it, it's over 90 minutes into the podcast by now, so I wonder if uh, I wonder who's still listening. But uh, yeah, for for me, Taniguchi uh, takes the cake. But uh, yeah, obviously Wakizaka's was an absolute special as well. And um, well, yeah, it just appeared to be uh, the. Uh, the dictionary definition of a game of two halves. This one, as you say, Johnny Tosu were terrific in the the early going, especially. But yeah, they controlled uh, the first half until Taniguchi's equaliser, and then after the break, Niigata buoyed by that strike. I presume were uh, by far the busier team, and uh, early in the second half, Park had to uh, bat away attempts by uh, Itaro Matsuda and Yota Komi, and then uh, after a VAR check, uh, Niigata were given a penalty for a handball from a corner by uh, Tosu captain Kosuke Yamazaki, only for Koji Suzuki to shoot too close to Park, who uh, saved easily. But Niigata did make their strong start to the second half pay moments later. And yeah, in the 54th minute, Suzuki headed on Komi's corner and Naoto Arai arrived in the center to power home a header from a yard out. There was a, a disallowed goal for uh, for Koji Suzuki as well. Uh, uh, another VAR hairline offside, but um, yeah, ultimately uh, the second goal was uh, all Niigata needed to, uh, to leave uh, Tosu with all three points. Although, uh, yeah, Kojima did well to deny the Tosu sub Ayuma Yokoyama uh, with about 15 minutes to go. So, yeah, positive start for uh, Niigata as well after, yeah, the first half did not go in their favour for the most part. And Johnny will finish off with the the two draws from the match day on uh, Sunday. Uh, Kashiwa hosted Kyoto. And, well, we mentioned with Dan right back at the start of uh, part one that history repeated from the J-League's original fixture to Tokyo Verdi versus Yokohama F. Marinos on Sunday. And I reckon Kashiwa supporters must have got a horrible feeling of uh, deja vu at the end of their game against Kyoto that finished 1-1 after uh, Mateus Savio gave them the lead with a brilliant 25-yard curler into the far top corner in the 77th minute, a goal good enough to win any game. And then they had a penalty given to them that uh, Mal Hosoya wasted uh, when he had obviously the chance to lock up the points with the two minutes left. Uh, Yeah, as so often happened last year, there was a sting in the tail and uh, Yuto Anzai, uh, five minutes into his uh, J1 debut, smashed in a loose ball after a Taichi Hara had a shot saved by Kenta Matsumoto. So um, it begins again for Reysol supporters, Johnny. Um, It looked like for all uh, for all the money that they were going to walk away with the three points in their home opener. But um, yes, uh, once again, a sting in the tail. Yeah, I felt really bad for, for Tokyo Fox and all, all, all the fans because we, we tried to build them up and we tried to give them some something to hang on to in our, our pre-season preview. And like you say, it's it's exactly the same script as, as last year. Um, you know, it's, it's a tight game that race all have a chance to kill it off. I, personally, I think the penalty was very soft. So from a neutral perspective, I, I have no issue with it. Oh, sorry, I'm missing it. But then the, yeah. the, 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 the sucker punch in, in injury time is just an absolute sickener. But if you're a Kyoto fan, you're Yuto Anzai. So he's just come out of, uh, of Shoshi High School. The only player in the top two uh, divisions in Japan that this week to, to, to play a game straight out of high school. 
Uh, he's obviously very, very, very excitable. I think that the referee had a little word with him just before he got his goal because he, he touched the referee in the chest to try and get his attention about something. He was on, he was a bundle of energy and you could just see what it meant to him and the, the Kyoto fans. I, I think it was, a, it was a pretty poor game. I had it on in the background while I was watching Verdi Marinos and I think the wind, it was wet, windy and cold and I think the wind was probably favouring the te- the the direction that the Kashiro were shooting in the second half, that Kyoto were in the first half. Not an awful lot happened in that first half. And then I think the first 15 minutes of the second, not a ton happened. And you know, Matias Savio's goal was a was a beautiful strike in, a, in an ugly game. But you know, I think if it had gone to 2-0, I think that would really be kind of stretching things. It was always a very tight game. Um, I think you know if you, if you had both of these teams in the bottom half of the table and your, your kind of predicted table, I think you... You wouldn't see anything to change your mind. Kyoto maybe a bit a bit disappointing. I know they had Marco Tullio, the new forward, up there with with Hara and, and Toyokawa, and they were kind of interchange positions. But yeah, Kyoto looked hardworking and difficult to beat, but not really spectacular. Kashiwa, they had uh, Hiroki Sekine, he's a, a university graduate at right back. He looked he looked pretty decent, but apart from that, I think the Deji Shirai and yeah, it was it was the rest of the the team from last season and. Yamada did a bit, but it did seem like you know, it was Hosoya, Matias Savio, or, or nothing was going to happen in, in attack. So, yeah, big, big frustration for Kashiwa. I think Kyoto, they've got a point in the road in, in round one, so they can look to build on that. And I think they'll definitely be the happier of the, of the two sides. Indeed, indeed. All right, then, so to the final game of the match day and the uh, the other draw in match day one. It took place down at the Best Denki Stadium in Fukuoka, where it finished Avispa nil, Consadole Sapporo nil. Um, yeah, certainly unsapporo-like, Johnny, to, to keep a clean sheet. They only had four in the entirety of uh, last season, although, of course, they also opened uh, last year with a nil-nil away at uh, Hiroshima, despite uh, Takumu Kawamura having the ball over the line, uh, the goal wasn't given, and uh, Sapporo escaped on that occasion with a point. Uh, was that the, a similar story on Saturday from the highlights? It appeared that uh, Yuto Iwasaki was very busy and often at the centre of things for Fukuoka alongside Kazuya Konno, but uh, overall, looked to me from the highlights that uh, nil-nil was just about the right result. Yeah, it seems like there was, a, there was a big crowd at the at the stadium, but in other ways, I think the way the teams played, it almost seemed like a pre-season friendly. You know, Fukuoka, I think um, Daiki Matsuoka was on the bench, Ben Khalifa wasn't in the squad, I- Iwasaki was their only, their only kind of big-name signing that was that was in the starting 11. I know they had Shigemi in from, from university, but and it seemed like Iwasaki, I think, he had three chances in the highlights. He seemed to come closer than, than anyone else. And Sapporo, I think only only Kondo at wing back was their only new new player. And I think yeah, Suzuki and Katsuki Tanaka Hasegawa came on, and they're still waiting for Yuya Asano has been injured in preseason, so he came off the bench. But yeah, I mean the the first half highlights had uh, Okamura almost finding super jock, but being intercepted by the goalkeeper, which I think really tells you the kind of game it was. Yeah, you know, 18 shots in total, which was what what Machida managed basically in the first hour of their game versus Gamba. Yeah, I think nil nil. Fukuoka, we still get questions where the goals are coming from. We, we know they're defensively solid. Sapporo, yeah, they haven't really shown their hand yet, have they? They're going to need Suzuki to step up with goals, but he was a sub. Um, it's a lot of players from last season. Yeah, uh, difficult to be too positive. But I think all you can really say is that neither side lost, so they've got a point and they kept a clean sheet. I think that's, that's the only real positives I think anyone can take from this game. 
Yeah, we certainly know to expect the unexpected from Sapporo. So, yeah, when they lose their best uh, defender in the offseason, Ashunta Tanaka, and he goes to Cerezo, well, it's, yeah, it's only natural that they should start uh, keeping clean sheets, I suppose. So, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how things go for uh, for Consadole in match day two when they are once again uh, on the road. So, uh, Johnny, uh, I, I have, don't worry, I haven't forgotten to ask you for your uh, your trivia answer, but uh, before you give that, we'll uh, we'll just run through the fixtures from uh, match day two. There's two games on Friday night with the Kawasaki hosting Iwata and Yokohama F. Marinos entertaining Avispa Fukuoka. Both of those kick off at 7 p.m. Then uh, the games are somewhat spaced out on Saturday, seven in total. Uh, Kobe hosts Kashua at 1 o'clock. It's at Nagoya versus Machida, Kyoto versus Shonan, and Tosu versus Sapporo at uh, 2 o'clock. Then uh, both of our teams are in action at the same time again, Johnny, at 3 o'clock. Uh, Kashima versus Cerezo is uh, the other game at 3. Uh, FC Tokyo open their home slate uh, against Hiroshima, and uh, Gumba are at home for the first time this season against Niigata. And uh, on Sunday, the only game between teams that had the same result in match day one, if that makes sense, is uh, two match day one losers, uh, Urawa versus Verdi, squaring off at Saitama Stadium. So, um, yeah, that should be an absolute corker. Um, I'd ask you for a pick of the the, the weekend, Johnny, but I think probably the, on Saturday might be uh, a better shout because uh, obviously the Friday and Sunday games are available for the listeners to watch. So if you had to pick one out from a Saturday slate, which one would you go for? I, I'd probably go for Kashima against Serizo. So obviously Kashima have had that, that great start, but the big question is can can they follow up? Because I mean, we, we only have one data point, but I think Serizo would be a tougher nut to crack than, than Nagoya were. And of course, Ranko Popovich had a had a short and not particularly happy spell as, as Serizo coach t- 10 mm. years ago, so it had a bit, bit of extra spice. And I think it'd be very interesting to see Yuma Suzuki. I mean, he only played about 20 minutes. He, he looked fit, so how him and Chavrich are going to going to form a partnership? Because if they they can form a partnership, then yeah, th- think about Kashima as a, a potential top top four side. But they're, they're going to face a, a much stiffer challenge from from Serizo and their the more attacking look. So for for me, that that has the that has the look of the the best game. I I don't know, if, maybe not one for the purists, but I think in terms of intrigue, I think Grampus at home to Machida. Because yeah, Machida yeah. will, they'll feel like you know two points slipped through their fingers, and and they gave Gamba an awful lot of trouble for that first hour with with eleven, and Nagoya, yeah, uh, after what just happened to them last week, if they were to lose to Machida, then yeah, the big big pressure, big big questions. I think that's one to keep a, a, an eye on. And um, what, what about Ben? I think FC Tokyo against um, San Francisco Hiroshima shapes up to be a good one. So what, what are your thoughts on on that and potentially any any other games? Looking forward to Tokyo's home opener. I think, uh, yeah, there was uh, obviously, yeah, some encouraging signs from uh, from Saturday's draw, and yeah, the the supporters will hope uh, Rio Araki can look uh, as good uh, in his home bow as he did in his uh, first game away in in a Tokyo shirt. And yeah, perhaps we might see uh, Ogashiwa, Endo, and uh, Ko, as you as you mentioned, were all absent 
from the match day one squad. Hopefully, uh, at least a couple of those will be back uh, in the uh, the frame for uh, for Peter Klamowski to consider for selection. I know Augusti were uh, played and uh, scored in a uh, training match. Uh, on the uh, the Sunday morning, so hopefully he's very close to being available. And yeah, Hiroshima obviously presents a huge test. So um, yeah, Tokyo did very well in their first home game of last season, beating uh, Urawa. Let's uh, let's hope uh, we can do the same again on um, on Saturday. And yeah, I was going to mention Nagoya Machida, not necessarily for the footballing spectacle, but yeah, I, I think uh, there's a lot on the line for for Grampus in their second straight home game to open the season if they were to uh to fall to uh, a promoted side in Zelvia then that would really really ramp up the pressure on uh, on Kenta Hasegawa but um not to throw the your question straight back at you Johnny but I was uh, I was going to suggest the Gamba Niigata as a, a potentially entertaining one to watch so how are you feeling about that one yes I think from a Gamba perspective like looking at Niigata you know I'm still not like sure how, how good they actually are because T- Tosa, as people who listened last season will, will know, I was, I was very tough on them. And they, they had a lot of, you know, they, they kind of nicked results a, a lot of the time. And it was, it was more of the same against Niigata. Despite the good start, they were comfortably outshot, comfortably beaten and expected goals and more statistics apart from sprints and distance covered. So Niigata, you know, you look at them 1-11, you don't see an awful lot of stars, but I think they're, they're a very well-coached side and very hard to beat. And I was actually talking to, to a Gamba friend of mine and talking about last season, where, where the first two games, we, we drew away to Kashiwa and then we drew at home to Sagantosu. And you're kind of thinking, well, ah, two draws, it's not too bad a start to the season. But, you know, you, you drew away to Machida. If you draw at home to Niigata, you're still not very sure are those actually going to be decent results. Like, are they going to be solid mid-table sides or are they going to be down down the bottom? So, yeah, this is a game, I, I, you know... Niigata, if they win, they're absolutely flying because they haven't had any home games yet. They've gone and won two two games. I don't think Niigata will be too disappointed with with a point. But I think Gamba, yeah, you know, Poyatos is still under a bit of pressure. They've only beat Machida. They were very unimpressive for for large parts. I think you will see Usami potentially coming in for for a start, and I think Neta Lavi will be back in the starting lineup. You might even see Riku Machida. That they all came on to good, good effect uh, against Machida. I think you will see some changes. Hopefully, you'll see Welton off the bench. And, yeah, I think if, if Gamba can get a win, it'll just make it so much easier. It'll just release that pressure on Poyatos. It's the home opener. And, you know, get the crowd on side. So, I'm hoping to see Gamba play play a lot better than they did against Machida. But I'm not not particularly confident. I think Niigata are quite, quite a tough side. So, if you had to push me, I'd probably go for another 1-1 draw. But, you know, if there's going to be a winner, maybe, maybe a 2-1 either way. Probably not not the best game on on the slate. I think I'm, I'm convinced Kat Kashima against Serizo, and I think FC Tokyo Sam Fredchi it will, will be the, the best two for the you know, for the purists. But yeah, Grampus Machida and Gamba Niigata because after after Kashima got that three 0 win, we're, we're down to the Kenta Hasegawa and, and Daniel Poyata. So definitely two coaches most under pressure, I think, in, in the league. Indeed, indeed. All right, then. So before we finish up, Johnny, remind the listeners of your trivia question. And after a drum roll, please supply you the answer. So I, I asked earlier when we were talking with, with Dan. Um, so that was um, Machida against Gamba. That, that was the first time the two sides have ever met in, in the J-League. But they did meet previously in the Emperor's Cup in 2012, which ended up in a, a 3-2 win for, for Gamba, who went on to, to reach the final that year. And I asked, um, so there was one player who played on Saturday 
and also played in that game in 2012. Who was it? And drum roll. If you haven't got it already, it was number 10 for Gamba Osaka, Shu Kurata, who scored, uh, I believe, the opening goal in the, the 3-2 win in 2012. And he came on towards the end of the 1-1 draw against Machida on, on Saturday. Now, I think at the ripe old age of, of 35, he's, he's a veteran. He was a, he's a youngster back in 2012. A fantastic servant for, for Gamba and, and Japanese football. So, yeah, congratulations to everyone who got who got that answer right. Shu Kurata. Nice one. Terrific stuff, Johnny. So we'll uh, we'll workshop that and see if it becomes a, a regular segment on the podcast. Johnny's a trivia corner, but uh, yeah, <laughs> off to a, a flying start, I think, mate. All right, so we'll uh, we'll leave it there. That's uh, been a, a bumper review of uh, match day one, but the listeners wouldn't expect anything less from us, would they, Johnny? Uh, so yeah, always uh, terrific catching up with you and getting your thoughts on uh, each and every top flight team. And uh, yeah, looking forward to doing so again after match day two. Yeah, match day two has got a lot to a lot to live up to, but yeah, it was, it was great going over this this match week one. It was fantastic. I was able to watch a lot of games, and yeah, I think that Dan was able to add a, a lot of colour having having been to some of the games. And it, it, it might not be the the most interesting topic, the the Machida kind of bust thing, but I think it's a very important topic. And yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll get Dan back on later in the season because there are some topics like I know the the YouTube stuff we, we didn't really have much to to add to what's already been said, but I think in the coming days that that more might come out. And then obviously we'll get Dan back on later in the season and we'll get, get plenty of other guests. So, yeah, I really really enjoyed our chat tonight and looking forward to, to chatting in, in the coming weeks. So thanks very much. All right. Tremendous stuff. Thanks again, Johnny. And, uh, yeah, that's it for this episode of the JTalk podcast. Uh, Johnny and I would like to thank Dan very much for his time in part one. We'd like to thank all of our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon. And listeners, we'd like to thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back next week to review J1 Match Day 2. Speak to you then. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.